Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, what's going on, everybody? Got Lee Jansen on the podcast this week from the PGA Tour Champions. Of course, he's won two U.S. Opens in the past as well. So many stories, so many people he's met over the years. Payne Seward, he was close friends with before Payne passed away. Number of other guys, Ryder Cup experiences as well. So we're going to get into a ton of stories with Lee Jansen here on the pod. I caught up with him at Richmond in the first playoff event for the Charles Schwab Cup playoffs, which starts here on the Champions Tour this week down in Richmond, Virginia. So I race down there and talk to him and a few other guys. But yeah, let's get to it. Lee Jansen on Beyond the Clubhouse. All right, joined by Lee Jansen. Joining me here on Beyond the Clubhouse podcast. And thanks for taking some time here in uh, Virginia. Sure, thanks. Um, the weather has turned. We've, we're definitely out of summer and we're in the fall now. Yeah. What's well, funny, a lot, I like to ask a lot of Champions Tour players, when you have tough weather like this and you got you bundle up as you get into the winter, what is some good advice for the weekend hacks at home to, to, to be smart in the cold weather? Uh, well, one of the things that helps me is, you know, the, the first layer or the tight-fitting, stretchy um, underwear, whatever that, you know, Callaway makes one. Um, they're lightweight and they they're fit right to you. They're tight that way. Like if you have three layers that are not tight fitting, then it gets bunched up, and there's just even harder to move around because you still want to be able to swing. Um, so you got multiple layers. Um, I prefer to only have two layers at the most, but on a cold day like this, when it's in the 30s and the wind's blowing, you're gonna have to have three layers on. So the tight area, a long sleeve shirt, and then a sweater. Um, you know, sweaters come in all different materials. So the warmer the sweater, the better. Yeah. Well, I think about Champions Tour in, in your career thus far, and seven and a half, eight years that you've been out here. What is year. ninth year officially, and we're in the playoffs here in, in Richmond. What has been kind of your takeaway thus far with with the Champions Tour and, and what you want to accomplish? Um, I would say that the Champions Tour is very competitive. Um, for those that have never come to a Champions Tour event or maybe players that are thinking about what they're going to do when they turn 50, it's very competitive. You have to play very well to win. Winning is very hard out here. Um, you got to be on your game for three days, which might be a little bit more of a challenge because it's only three days instead of four. So you better shoot probably in the 60s the first day just to have a chance. But um, you know it's not impossible to come back if you shoot even part of the first day, but it's just a lot easier to be in the hunt after the first round. Speaking about shooting in the 60s, Freddie Couples last week shoot 60 at the age of 63. What, what did you take away from that? That's amazing. Um, he was 13 under when I left the golf course to drive to Richmond, and I stopped at a rest area and pulled up the app to see what was going on, and it said 20 under. I literally thought there was something wrong with the app. Of course. Because he birdied the last seven holes, and I was like, what in the world? You know. And then I look at his full scorecard, and he birdied the last five on the front, so that's 12 out of 14. That's uh, incredible golf at any stage during a tournament of any kind, much less to do it through your last 14 holes and win a tournament walking away so great performance broke his age by three shots um 
he had stated earlier this year that he really wanted to win one more event. So I, hopefully this is not his last event. I mean, it, hopefully he just sees, like, if I can do that, then I can win more. Right. Yeah, so I was hoping to because I read his quote that he's like, hey, that's my goal, one more. And, and then so the, the, the worry is that he might be done. But what, what are you thinking at this point? Well, he's probably been more than one time in his career that he thought he was done. Um, you know, everybody knows his back gives him trouble from time to time, and he's missed extended periods of time because of it. But um, I think if he's physically able to play, he'll play, yeah. even if it's just five times a year. Just just to get those favorite courses that he, that yeah, he knows, he right? He can still play. Obviously, he just showed it. I mean, 60, um, it's not like it was, you know, pitch and putt. It's, you know, you, there's trouble. Uh, the greens were fast. The pins were in tough spots. And um, I know there was a couple other scores, maybe eight under, to show that, the, you know, the, the, it was possible to do it. But, you know, he still had low round of the day by four shots. That's awesome. really amazing. Does it do anything for your game when you see a 63-year-old pull that off? Well, I was one of the earlier groups, so um, I, I wasn't happy with the way I finished. I had an opportunity to shoot a better score than I did, and I didn't. Um, and then when you see a 60 and a couple 64s up there, you, you like you realize that yeah, I had a missed opportunity there, and I got to do better. Yeah. Well, I think about you being a two-time U.S. Open champion, and I think about U.S. Open history in your career. The first one you were at in 1985 was your first real, real big event. And you show up there with your roommate on the driving range. Like, tell us the story, what that was like, to seeing all the, the, the big stars out there. Right. So, yeah, I, uh, I tried to qualify for the U.S. Open a couple times. And in 85, I made it as an amateur. I was the youngest player in the field. Uh, my college roommate lived just a mile down the street. So um, it was natural to have him caddy for me. And then, you know, we were just completely out of relevant. It's like we'd snuck into a big event somehow um, that we weren't supposed to be there. But there we were. Um, we get to the range, and there was an opening between Nicholas and Watson, and my caddy, Pat, says, uh, you could hit right there. And I said, no, I'll just wait. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to hit balls next to those two guys. Are you kidding me? Um, so I got to play a practice round with Ben Crenshaw. Um, turns out during the tournament, I teed off behind Nicholas, and I'm on the putting green, and he makes his way to the first tee. And, of course, the ovation he got on the way to the first tee was um, amazing. And it just about ruined me, and I wasn't even playing with him, but I was playing behind him. Just the, the reverence that was giving him, um, you, you could realize what a big event it was and what you were surrounded by. So it was a huge learning experience. Um, I didn't perform all that well, but I learned so much. And um, so it probably helped a lot in the long run, even though the scores didn't show it. Well, speaking of big event and first tee atmosphere, think about 1993 and your first Ryder Cup. You're on the road with the American team at that point. Like, what, what does that feel like when you're teeing off on the first, your, your first chance in a Ryder Cup? Right. Um, that was a very veteran team. Um, once again, I was the youngest guy on the team that year at 28. And now you look at our team, and I think everybody's under 28. So um, those guys all had Ryder Cup experience. Uh, Davis Love, John Cook were the other, and uh, maybe Jim Gallagher. I think the four of us were playing our first Ryder Cups. Um, but they were at least veterans and had experience in that sort of, uh, at least somewhat of that atmosphere. I was still, you know, fourth year on tour. Um, I had not played a ton after the U.S. Open that year. We were getting ready to to have a child. My wife was, of course, doing all the work. Uh, right, naturally. So, but, yes, I was really soaking in all of the veteran, um, how they were going about getting ready mentally and just their uh, how they talked to each other about what was about to happen because I really didn't have – I had no experience 
really what it was going to be like. So um, you really got to get your feet wet in the Ryder Cup to have any idea what it's all about. And you were mentioning the veterans there. I'm curious, like, what does it feel like in a U.S. team room? Like, you're 93, 97 as well. Like, what is that energy like? Um, it's great fun. That, that might be the best part of the week. You know, the, the golf is great. The uh, electricity that is out there, because everybody that they're watching is for one side or the other. Um, most tournaments, people will clap for any good shot. doesn't matter who it is. But they're, there's no mistaking you're either from this side or you're for that side. And then uh, our time in the in the family room, team room, was a great time. Uh, there's there's a lot of events. You got the welcoming dinner. You've got photo things, the opening ceremonies, other dinners. So there's a lot of time, not just during the practice rounds and trying to get ready for the tournament and any uh, working out or therapy you would need to get done. Um, that takes up all of your time the first few days. So once we get to the team room time. Um, it's a time to relax at least and um, just to enjoy each other's company. So we've all been through the same sort of thing, professional golfers, all the travel, uh, winning tournaments, almost winning tournaments, and, you know, trying to get better in our careers. So we get to share a little bit of that. But um, we played games and just enjoyed each other's company. So I really enjoyed that part and looked forward to it. The next time I played in 97, we also had a good time. That was a younger team. Um, and I had fun both times, but there was definitely a different atmosphere between the veteran team and the young team. You were a captain's pick there in 97, if I recall. That's right. Um, I played with Tom Kite the last round of the PGA at Wingfoot, uh, and I thought that was a great opportunity for me. Here's the captain. He hadn't decided who he was going to pick yet, and uh, we're playing in a major, and we have, we're the third to last group, maybe the second to last group. I don't know. We were pretty late in the round. Um, so I felt like if I shoot under par, shoot a good score, then – he'll probably be leaning towards picking me. Um, it'd be great to have a good tournament, and it'd also be great to get picked for the Ryder Cup, and that's how it turned out. Well, we think about some of the guys that you would have met and spent time with in those team rooms over the years in, in Ryder Cups, and I think about my podcast is called Beyond the Clubhouse, so it's about those lasting relationships all of us make through the, through the game of golf. And I'm just curious, I think of somebody like Payne Stewart, somebody like like Payne, like what, what's a favorite memory or just a memory that comes to mind when you think of, of him and his life? Yes, um, well, Payne and I, uh, the first time we played together was in 93 in Tucson, um, and I was just getting to know him. And then we played together again in the U.S. Open final round at Baltusrol. And then the Ryder Cup, we were there. But he's one of the veterans. He'd already played Ryder Cups, uh, been a factor in majors for a long time. So um, the captain was leaning on the veterans very hard that week. But I can remember when I teed off in the singles match, and I don't know where I was in the thing, if I was towards the end or in the middle, he was teeing off after me, but he was there on the first tee to watch me tee off and encourage me as I teed off. So um, I appreciated that very much, and I did not forget it. So um, I thought that was really nice of him to do that. And it was a, a, I did end up not winning my match, but it meant a lot to me at the time. You guys talk about it afterwards in, in those years? Um, not, not so much that one, but we, we got paired together many times. Um, you know, we seemed to – I guess we liked the same courses or whatever, and we, we would have good tournaments – a lot of the same places so we got paired together quite a few times no you mentioned jack nicholas and uh, that u.s open there in, in 1985 it would be the year before he won that masters in 86 in terms of uh, legends or guys you looked up to growing up um, what's a kind of a favorite moment as you look on your career now with, with maybe one of those guy, uh, one of those role models um well i can remember when jack won the 1980 u.s open at baltus Rawl. 
I was at a junior tournament and they were handing out the trophies and everybody's head was turned to the TV watching as he was finishing off the tournament. Um, and so that struck me that that was a big deal. I mean, I was young, 15 years old, playing in a junior tournament. I just started playing junior golf at that time. So um, I was soaking in what other people thought was important at that time. And then a few years later, two years later, uh, Tom Watson, who was one of my favorites, chipping in on the 17th hole, the 71st hole of the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach to beat Jack Nicklaus. So um, early on, those were two moments that um, probably stuck with me as a junior golfer as I started taking the game more serious. And you would have been with with Tom Watts, I'm thinking, on, on the regular tour for at least close to 20 years, and then on the Champs Tour, maybe at least maybe four or five years, I want right. to say. So it's, um, a, it's, a good, it's a good run with, with, with Tom. I'm trying to think of how old he is. He's in his mid-70s now, maybe, yeah. close to it. So yes, uh, early 90s, when I got on tour, he was still playing quite a bit, and he played you know, most of uh, all of the 90s and into the early 2000s, and then I think he transitioned onto the Champions Tour. So, And then it was great seeing him out here again. I always look forward to seeing Tom. So. Well, we think about Tom Watson, Jack Nicklaus, a lot of the history guys who have won major championships in the tradition of the game. And I was talking with Rocco and Jerry Kelly earlier about this and how you look at live golf, which doesn't have the history anywhere near it. But if you were in the shoes of being a 45-year-old and, and live approached you, like how would you, how would you th think about an offer from them? Right. Um, there's a number for everybody, right? So, but there's... It, that would not be the only deciding factor, um, the number that they would give you. What, what is the terms of the agreement? How long do I have to commit to this? What kind of travel am I going to be doing? Um, how much will I be away from my family? What are my obligations? So um, I'm sure all those guys weighed all those options and made a good decision based on that. Um, so, you know, it's so early on, and who knows what we'll be saying about the live tour five years from now or ten years from now. It might not even be around, and maybe it will be. You know, the landscape is going to probably change, and um, I think it's hard to predict right now what exactly is going to happen to professional golf because of it. But I think the attention that has gotten onto professional golf recently, um, I think some of the changes that have already happened in the PGA Tour, I think it's all going to be good stuff. Are you surprised at all by any of the reaction to live or, or just, just a short amount of time? It's only been, you know, three months, four months, really. Right. Well, it's been building for quite a while you know most of the year so uh, we live in a world of overreaction so um, <laughs> i like to just wait and you know see how things turn out first before i really make a decision on how i feel one way or the other but you know i based on my career now i mean I, my best days are behind me so i'd probably lean towards taking the money but you know that's the guy at the end of his career you know if i'm if i think i'm still competitive on the regular tour i would not want to give up the opportunity to still play in majors and win tournaments on the regular tour so it'd be a tough choice for those guys speaking of winning tournaments you had that drought uh last year when you won at the staff's championship in north carolina and i think about um you know what what did that emotion feel like when to come through in a big moment like that you know it's been a while since you tasted victory oh yeah i, I hadn't even really been contending much last year at all um so I was really just excited to be in the hunt for a tournament, and, and uh, it started very poorly on the first hole, a bad tee shot, and turned things around on the next hole, which um, sometimes that's all it takes is you play one hole bad and then come back and play the next hole well. It steadies you and gives you a little bit of momentum for the rest of the day, and then I just played really well the rest of the day. Never really thought about winning. Um, got to the last hole and thought, well, if I can knock this in, maybe I'll get in the playoff. And uh, 
So it was a little bit of a surprise, actually. I, I was really never thinking about winning the tournament, and all of a sudden I was in a playoff. And um, I, li I like to think the playoffs don't last very long, so you better be ready to play on the first hole. That's it. Well, that's for us at home, us amateurs, we got to be ready as well yeah. on the first. And, and I guess I would disclose by asking, what would be good advice as we get first tee jitters? A lot of us, you know, maybe we're not playing for a while and we get to the first tee. What are some good ways to calm those those jitters? Um, well, if you can maybe go through uh, a few shots on the range, pretending you're on the first tee, um, whatever routine, or just, you know, be very decisive and commit to it. Um, you get to the first tee and everything was fine. Then you get the first tee and you, all of a sudden you the adrenaline kicks in and the nerves kick in. You don't know what you're going to do. That's a tough situation to be in when you're out of your comfort zone. Um, so if you plan ahead, maybe play a few shots on the range just to pretend you're playing the first hole. That could help. Um, and if, if you're still nervous, then, you know, you've just got to commit to something, be decisive, and just go for it. Well, I think about 93, 97, winning the U.S. Open, and just what what can we learn from playing a hard golf course, right? Like, what's the right mentality? I know in Ivory Court it's the same, but, but how do we take on that challenge? Right. How do you play a hard golf course? Well, there's going to be a lot of challenging shots. So um, if you're playing tight or pressing, that's not going to help you any because the course is already hard, so you're just making it that much harder. So if you can somehow just relax and say, well, the course will be tough, so I might as well just relax and let it go. Um, just focus one shot at a time and ignore your score. Um, some days, two or three over par is a good score. Just, and just take it what, what you have there. Well, Lee, appreciate your time here on the podcast. We'll catch up again soon. Thank you. All right, my thanks to Lee Jansen for joining me on the pod. You know, one thing I love about talking to the Champions Tour guys is they, they're at a point in their career, they, they just want to share. They want to share experiences. They love talking about the, the old days, 1985, U.S. Open on the range, shaking in his boots, as he talked about with uh, Jack Nicholas seeing uh, his legends out there, the guys, his heroes he looked up to uh, as he tried to get into uh, practicing with them, and he just couldn't do it. So it's just crazy to hear that from a, a guy like Lee Jansen. Great to get to know him a little bit more, and hope you guys enjoyed it.